0: (laughs) (laughs) Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Well, lately I've been uh, talking to some of the people who will be traveling to Burning Man this year, and will be helping with the Planque Norte Lectures. As I've mentioned before, uh, I won't be going to the burn this year, but I am most definitely looking forward to being able to podcast some of this year's lectures. Which uh, reminded me that I still haven't finished podcasting all of last year's Norte lectures. And so I'm going to get a few of the remaining talks out to you as soon as I can. In fact, the talk that I'm going to be playing for us in a minute was originally going to be one of the first of last year's talks that I podcast. But uh, finally, here we are, so now let's join the group of burners at Camp Soft Landing and uh, listen in as Pez introduces our featured speaker for today. And please keep in mind that this talk was given in August of 2013, almost a year ago. And while a lot has uh, happened in the world of cannabis regulations since then, uh, nonetheless, I'm sure that you're going to find Sarah Lubbering very informative. All right. Up next, we have Sarah Lovering from the Marijuana Policy Project. I'm sure uh, some of you are familiar with MPP and their work. They uh, have been responsible for many of the states that have legalized medical marijuana and also the most recent legalization effort in Colorado to be the first state to actually legalize marijuana for everybody over 21. So uh, they do great wa- work. Um, and Sarah is one of their fundraisers and is going to talk to you a little bit today about marijuana at the corner store and the, uh, the future of marijuana. So with that, I'll uh, give it off to Sarah.
1: Thank you, Pez. Hello. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you today about uh, marijuana at the corner store, meaning will we eventually see marijuana at the corner store all around the country the way we do with alcohol? or will law enforcement, government, public opinion you know eventually shift and roll back the current trends that we're seeing. So um, I'm going to start out by telling you a little bit more about myself and the organization I work for and then I'm going to go into the current status of marijuana law around the country, kind of a state of the union of marijuana. And then I'm going to talk about some of the trends we're seeing in the media, in public opinion, And then in the law enforcement and government response to some of the new laws. And then I'm going to look into my crystal ball and answer the question, will current trends continue? Will legalization continue to progress and evolve? Or will the tide turn? And will we see kind of a clamping down on legalization efforts um, after that, I'm going to talk about what's next. What are the reform organizations planning? You know, what do we think the trends are going to look like in the next 10 years, and uh, and what does this mean for the country? Are we going to go to hell in a handbasket? Are we going to see addiction rates skyrocket, or uh, will it be all cupcakes and rainbows? So, um, first off, me. My name is Sarah Levering. I am a fundraiser for the Marijuana Policy Project. We are the largest single organization working on this issue. We're we're not the only one. We're the largest one dedicated solely to marijuana law reform, like we don't work on any other drug. Um, I started working for MPP in 2006. I had been in corporate America before that, but this issue had been important to me since I was in high school when... um, a. One of my best friends was busted for using marijuana during school hours not on not on school property, um, but she was kicked out of school, did not finish high school and that just struck me as like the most absurd response to a potentially troubled teen and um, and it did impact her life and, and things like that have impacted many people and and harmed many lives and um, and you know on top of that, there was a lot of drinking in high school, and I observed people just behaving idiotically with alcohol, harming themselves, harming others. And I really, I I saw very little of that with marijuana. It was mostly, you know, lots of laughing and um, cooking fantastic meals. So I got, I just became very interested in the issue and followed marijuana law. And in 2005, uh, just started really needing a life change and started kind of figuring out that there were career paths in the marijuana reform movement and uh, I took the plunge eventually. I I took a 50% pay cut to leave my job and go work for MPP and it's been very, very rewarding. I've worked with really interesting people. I've helped to carry out really profound change in our country. Um, I've made some awesome relationships with our donors. Uh, One of our board members is, I think he's the brains behind this whole camp, (laughs) Uh, John Gilmore really fascinating guy and he's the one who asked me to come here today so uh an mpp uh you know pez mentioned some of our recent accomplishments we we passed the legalization initiative in colorado last year um earlier this year we uh, passed a decrim bill in vermont for example we legalized medical marijuana in delaware and new hampshire um and we're we're gearing up for a whole lot of things over the next three years. And I'm going to go into those in more detail in a minute. So what is the current status of marijuana law around the country? Okay, so the current state of marijuana around the U.S. The Marijuana Policy Project was born in 1995. So, so a lot of that's going to be my frame of reference. In 1995, there were no medical marijuana states. Medical marijuana was not legal anywhere. Uh, in 1996, it became legal in California. We we only helped a little bit with that. We were such a nascent organization. We had very a very small role in that. But today, we have 20 medical marijuana states, including the district or not including the district of Columbia. Um, marijuana is decriminalized in 15 states. There are two states that have taxed and regulated marijuana: Washington and Colorado. They've, they've taxed and regulated similar to alcohol. And uh, in 2013, 18 other states were considering medical marijuana legislation. Nine others considered decriminalizing marijuana. And taxing and regulating marijuana was introduced in 12 states already this year. So there has been a lot of activity on marijuana and medical marijuana. Let's talk about some trends in marijuana because that also very much speaks to what will happen legislatively and um, you know, legally on marijuana. So public opinion is at an all-time high now. Uh, since 1969, Gallup has been polling on public opinions regarding legalizing marijuana. And uh, we, we now have over a majority of support for it. And that is a first. The last peak we saw in support was in 1977. And uh, for the next few years after that, support actually decreased. And then it stagnated for a really long time. Does anybody in the room know why that happened, or, or one of the reasons? Yes. He, he said the war on drugs. And there are a few kind of figureheads who had a big role in that. Can you name any of them? Ronald Reagan and his wife actually played a very huge role with just the Just Say No campaign, yeah. So that that really did, that impacted public opinion significantly. They had government funding to run all these scary commercials with eggs being fried in frying pans and saying, this is your brain on drugs. Um, So, yeah, public opinion was very much influenced by that and really stagnated for a long time. We saw the D.A.R.E. program come to life, you know, kids being really misinformed about marijuana's effects and all drugs, you know, what they are, what they do, what they're going to do to you. Okay, so... um, another public opinion kind of milestone that we've seen recently, and this is from an opinion leader, Sanjay Gupta, who was going to be... He was Obama's first pick for Surgeon General, which means, you know, he's, he's got some clout. He, he came out on CNN recently on a little documentary that he did and actually apologized to the world for his prior opposition to marijuana and its medical use. And... um just did an about-face. He, he said, I'm really sorry. I've misled you. I was misinformed. I was mistaken, and I'm wrong. And that's huge. That's really huge. He he had millions of viewers listening to that message and reading about it on Facebook and on Twitter. So that's, that's really huge. Um, and in the media in general, we're seeing... Story after story after story about marijuana. We're seeing reality shows about growers, and um, you know, we've got major TV shows themed around marijuana. And marijuana has appeared in the media for sure over, you know, the last 50 years, but it's being portrayed more and more as just kind of a normal thing. In fact, often you know, these days you'll see a, a character in a show or a movie using marijuana and that's not even like the point of that scene. It's a, it's kind of a just an aspect of their character. So that's really big. That, that speaks to the public's position on marijuana, really. And finally, law enforcement and the government. Well, what is their stance on marijuana? How are they Reacting to marijuana. So the answer to that is kind of varied. Um in Washington, the Seattle PD recently did a really big a PR stunt in order to inform the attendees at Hempfest about their rights under I 502, the new legalization initiative. They just wanted to make sure everybody knew. Just because marijuana is legal now doesn't mean it's okay to drive with it, doesn't mean it's okay to shotgun it to somebody under 18, Um, and they they did this by putting stickers on 100,000 bags of Doritos and handing them out at the festival. So I think that, you know, really, it shows at least that the Seattle PD is not, they're not trying to weigh in on the issue, they're rolling with it, and they're rolling with it in a very, you know, positive manner. Um, In other states, we're seeing a pretty good response um, in terms of uh, states that have actually regulated marijuana well. So, like, look at Colorado. Colorado has a very well-regulated medical marijuana system. Stores are licensed. Growers are licensed. They get inspected. Um, Very, very few federal actions in Colorado, and the few that there have been have... Many of them have been focused around you know, stuff going out of state. So, and, and we're seeing that around the rest of the country too. The states that have regulated medical marijuana at the state level are seeing almost no federal interference. Like look at New Mexico for example. I, I can't even think of one story from New Mexico about a DEA raid. It's probably happened but it wasn't big enough to make it in, into the news. Um, Nevada has dispensaries for the first time now They're their legal is their uh yeah their medical marijuana law was passed uh 12 years ago and um all this time the state legislators have been obstructing the full implementation of the law which required that the state regulate establish and regulate a system for distribution to its patients and um MPP, my organization, and several other organizations recently, this whole past year we've been lobbying to finally get dispensaries regulated and allowed in Nevada. And that it finally passed. And um, this is going to be huge because Nevada's system will actually allow the dispensaries to sell to out-of-state patients as well. um, Which is going to generate a lot of tax income. Which will help build support for a future legalization initiative there. And I'll get to that in a minute. It's obviously it's not it's not good for, you know, PR or for just a well-regulated system to have people abusing a system. So we're going to see some of that in Nevada, especially since they're going to allow out of state cards. There will be some media reports about, you know, various shifty folks um, raking in the millions, not paying their taxes and selling to out of state or you know, selling to minors or whatever. But the benefits will outweigh the cost, and I think the state's going to make some good tax money off of it, and the people of Nevada, even better, are going to see, hey, this kind of works, actually. It's not so bad. So um, the one place you might have on your mind in terms of a, a negative federal response, and one that I know has affected many people, is in California. So a lot of people think of California as kind of like the weed capital of the nation, and For all I know, it may be in terms of use rates, I don't know. But California's medical marijuana law was the first to be passed. And so the people of California didn't have anything to compare it to. They didn't know what would work, what wouldn't work, uh, what was too vague. And it was passed by initiative too, and so sometimes in an initiative you don't have the opportunity to make tweaks to a piece of legislation before it goes final. You know, it's an initiative. Once it's on the ballot, that's that's what you've got there. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of trouble in California. We have no state regulation of the medical marijuana system at all. Growers are not licensed. Dispensaries are not even authorized by the law. They're not licensed. They may be licensed by local municipalities um, in some places like Oakland and Berkeley. Um, but there is no state regulation. And... The federal government has said in various instances, you know, hey, we're we're going to lay off if you regulate, and that's clear that they're doing that in other states, and so California desperately needs to regulate its system, and that probably won't happen via the legislature. There was an attempt to do so this year, and. Um, the California um, Police Chiefs Association and the California Narcotics Officers Association lob- lobbied heavily against it and killed it. Um, so, and they will continue to be a threat to any legislative efforts. And so our best shot in California is to legalize marijuana via initiative because we do have the appropriate level of public support for that. I'll speak more to that in a minute, trend, or where we're going in the future. Okay, so so what does the crystal ball say? Will legalization continue to evolve and to progress around the nation? Or will a future Republican president or public opinion or a Nancy Reagan admirer um, just bash the whole thing back and, and screw things up? Um, so, who, I want to see a show of hands. Who thinks we're, we're going to keep going in, in the right direction? Here, here. Okay, and who has some, some grave concerns about what might be happening? Okay. Okay, so, so the crystal ball says yes, we will continue evolving and going in the right direction if, if, if the organizations and the people who back them continue fighting very hard for what we've achieved so far and what we're planning to achieve. And um, I say that because, for two reasons. One, not a single thing that MPP does or the Drug Policy Alliance or Students for Sensible Drug Policies, not a single thing that they do is possible Without you know, a funding from the people who really care about this, and B the people who are willing to take nonprofit jobs and who are really passionate about just seeing these ridiculous laws changed and just plugging away at it and plugging away at it, um, our initiative in Colorado that passed in 2012 that was expensive and it took a lot of pounding the pavement, asking for money and bringing together the right campaign team and begging for money to run ads. Ads are critical in a campaign. And, um, you know, thankfully, we do have people on board like John Gilmore and David Bronner of Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps who support what we do at at a significant level and, and really help to see that we... Achieve what we set out to achieve, that we do the right polling so that we don't go in and try to do something in a state where we just don't have a chance. Um, make sure that we're using the right messaging. Uh, and then my other qualification was, yes, the trend will continue if, if we continue to, set, to establish a vision and fund it. And move forward and know that legalization is not inevitable. And, and I'm going to give you an example of a time when people did think legalization was inevitable. And I talked to a fair number of people today who are quite jaded because uh, they're, they're folks who were probably in their 30s in the 70s. They remember the first Prop 19 in California in 1972. They remember Cheech and Chong. You know, they remember all the momentum and excitement around the idea of legalizing marijuana that our nation had in the early to mid-70s. And we even had C- President Carter say that you know, marijuana should be legalized. So in 1977, well, between 1969 and 1977, public support for legalizing marijuana ro- rose from a mere 12% to 28% over those years. So that's a pretty significant rise in public opinion. Right now we're seeing about a 1% gain each year. So that was over nine years, and they had a 16-point gain. So that's pretty good. It was going up and up and up. Timothy Leary had his trial in 1971. I don't know if you guys know the story. Marijuana is more or less illegal because of Timothy Leary. (laughs) He got busted for um, having a joint when he was trying to cross the Mexican border. It was actually his daughter's. He took the fall. It, this was in Texas. I think he got sentenced to 10 years in prison, and he thought that was absurd, as he should have. And so he took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, you're right, you know, it's, it's impossible to comply with our current marijuana laws because you have to show this tax stamp to show that you did comply with the law but nobody's actually generating the tax stamp the tax stamp and even if anybody was making the tax stamp and you purchased it then you would be implicating yourself in a crime potentially so in 1977 public support started decreasing and stagnated all the way until about 1999 so you know Nancy Reagan d- did a lot of damage in that time we had the Alleged crack baby epidemic, which we know now was totally not an epidemic at all. And so I think a lot of people, you know, they kept on saying legalization is inevitable, it's inevitable. And, you know, no, it's not. There, there were no organized, no funded organizations during that time working on this issue. So um, when my boss, Rob Campia, founded the Marijuana Policy Project in 1995, there were no funded organizations or activists lobbying Congress or state legislatures. There were activists, and some of them were working very hard, but they had very little funding, and without funding it's exceedingly difficult to make any progress, especially lobbying. I mean, right now it costs $25,000 a month to lobby Congress, our federal government. That's a lot of money. That's, that's just to hire your standard lobbyist that's got some decent connections on the Hill In a state, you know, it could cost $5,000 a month to lobby a legislature. Um, MPP passed a a medical marijuana bill in Illinois just a month ago. It took us 10 years of lobbying there, hammering away every time, getting closer and closer, a few more votes. You know, that's not really something you can do without a machine fueling your efforts, sending out email alerts to the people in key legislative districts, letting them know hey you, you really need to call your legislator or this is just not going to happen. So we have been plugging away and will continue to plug away at it, but um, nothing that we do will succeed at all if we don't have the people behind us who believe that our marijuana law should be different, enabling our work, calling their legislators, sending emails to their legislators, letting them know, hey I'm not going to vote you out of office if you support this legislation. I, I actually do think this is great legislation. We have we see less and less fear in legislators of looking soft on crime in terms of allowing for loosening of marijuana laws, but you know, there still is fear. There is still a fear of being in a in a re-election campaign being labeled as soft on crime. They need to hear from us. They need to know that no, we we support this. We think this is good. So what's next? Where are we going? We are going somewhere. Um The Marijuana Policy Project is hoping to legalize marijuana in seven to eight states in 2016, similar to the laws that we just passed. We passed Colorado. We didn't work on Washington. And uh, we'll pass a legalization initiative in Alaska next year. We're collecting signatures for that right now. 2014 is not really... a. a desirable year to to do any of that work. Does anybody know why? Midterm election. Yeah, so of course, yeah, we would love to see marijuana legalized in those seven to eight states in 2014, of course. But it's a midterm election year, which means fewer young people will come out to vote. And it's the young people who are most statistically supportive of the work that we do. That's one reason. Another reason is it's gonna be freaking expensive. We need time to raise that money. We need time to develop a campaign strategy and bring together all the right people. So yeah, we would love to do all of this in 2014, but we have a war chest to build up. So the states that we'll be working on in um, 2014 and 2016, I already mentioned Alaska, will be finished collecting signatures there in January. Uh, California, we'll be working on California. Who lives in California? Nevada, Arizona, Maine. In Maine, we're actually... We're working on that right now. All, all of these states, in every state I've mentioned to you, it's not like we swooped in the year that we had our great success and bam, we did it. In almost all of those states, we, we've been doing things each year to kind of keep this issue in the media and keep the public thinking about it, keep the media talking about it. In Maine... We'll be running a legalization initiative in 2016. But right now, we're running local legalization initiatives. For example, the city of Oregon, on November 5th, they'll be voting on a citywide ballot to legalize marijuana in Portland, Maine. Portland is the biggest city in Maine. This is significant. You might be thinking, like, well, okay, a legalization initiative at the local level, well, like, big deal. Isn't that still going to conflict with state law? Like, aren't people still going to be... Snagged by the prohibition at the state level, well, very few people is the answer that ninety nine percent of all marijuana arrests take place at the at the state and local level, but most of those at the local level right you know when you get If you get busted in your city it 's by a city cop usually um, so this is actually very significant for cities to pass legalization initiatives, and we 're actually seeing the same thing in Michigan right now um, so this is the kind of thing that our, our, talk, our uh, donors are supporting at the moment. Uh, we're working on a decrim bill in the District of Columbia. Uh, their medical marijuana program was just recently implemented, which is going to help shift public opinion. You know, the public is going to see, like, I think they have four allowed dispensaries, and so they'll see these dispensaries and kind of realize, ain't no thing, ain't no big deal, and um, just become increasingly supportive of it. And the the D.C. City Council actually just passed um, or they just put out um, a proposal to decriminalize marijuana. So it actually came, it came from the City Council. Um, in Delaware, we're continuing to help implement the medical marijuana law that we passed there. And this is significant. Um, MPP has a lobbyist in Colorado right now helping them to develop the best possible regulations for the new law there. And this is really important because... Like in Colorado, for example, the new law said municipalities can ban retail sales of marijuana if they want. And um, what we didn't want to see was most of the major cities banning retail sales because we need some of them to allow them so that the people of Colorado realize this is working, look at all this great tax revenue we're collecting. So um, there have been a few states where MPP has passed legalization or, I'm sorry, um, medical marijuana laws in the past and then didn't have the funding to stick around and work on implementation. And you know, it became pretty clear that's, that's not a good idea. Um, bad, bad things tend to happen, like in Montana and Michigan. So now, you know, when we raise money to pass a medical marijuana or a legalization measure, we gotta stay there afterwards and make sure that the vision that we were initially trying to make a reality really will become the, the great reality we think it could be. Okay, I want to talk about what's, what does this mean for the country? Are, are we going to go to hell in a handbasket? Are addiction rates going to skyrocket? Are DUI rates going to skyrocket? How will public opinion continue to shift around this? What, what does this mean for all of us? Well, you know, yeah, there, there are a lot of people out there raising all these alarm bells. We're going to see a lot of DUI. And in fact, we've seen states like the state of Colorado, unfortunately, put forth a, I don't remember it was a zero tolerance, but a really bad DUI bill for marijuana. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know in my own work for MPP, I'll, I'll talk to people, even people who support this, my side of the issue, will say things like, yeah, well, we need better testing for impairment. Oh, not not for impairment, but for how stoned you are. And I, I disagree with that. I think a mere impairment test, like what are your motor functions? What is your alert time? What is your response time? I think that should be sufficient. You know, I don't think it matters how many nanograms of THC I have in my blood, but rather, am I driving okay? A- am I safe on the road? Am I alert? So that's, that's one thing that we're, um, you know, seeing a lot of people talking about, but Yes. Marijuana use rates are going to increase. Which means that some of the badness associated with marijuana will increase. Um, You know, yeah, there are people out there who have problematic relationships with substances, who make poor decisions about when they're good to drive. So yeah, we're going to see some increases in negative effects associated with marijuana. But We do what we do because the benefits far far outweigh the negatives the The fewer people whose lives are needlessly ruined or damaged by an encounter with marijuana prohibition Um, I was actually busted for marijuana possession my first year here at burning man. I didn't even know that was possible (laughs) My life was not ruined thankfully my life was not ruined, but um There are people who have suffered far worse than that. People who have lost their lives over a suspected, you know, bag of weed. And uh, that's absolutely unacceptable. So, um, and then, yeah, public opinion is increasing. I was just telling you, public opinion is increasing by about a percentage point a year. In a presidential election, we get about a three percentage point boost. Um, as we have more and more states who have what is it right now? the percentage is about sixty three percent It depends on exactly how the question is phrased, according to the most recent Gallup poll i think it 's fifty five um, percent and then if you 're polling about medical marijuana, the percentages are much higher you know people are much more comfortable with medical marijuana per se so and then all of us have a role in in that as well you know I know that in the past few years i 've kind of Come out to my parents about my marijuana use, which doesn't mean I went to them all sheepishly and was like, "Ah, I use marijuana. But rather, you know, when I might normally use marijuana, if we were hanging out together and visiting, I just did it. And it wasn't a big deal, and they saw that it wasn't a big deal, and they, you know, they got more comfortable. They could see the substance and see, like, oh, this is, you know, it's not this scary thing I kind of imagined. Um, That really helps, too. You know, the the baby boomer generation is one of the least supportive groups on this issue. But as they get older and older, they are going to become more supportive. A, you know, just because that's kind of the trend around the nation. But B, because they're going to get sicker and sicker and they're going to discover that marijuana does have some really cost-effective, great health benefits without all the horrible side effects of the pharmaceuticals that most seniors are... Poppin. so at this point I, I really want to open this up for a discussion I don't want to ramble at you forever I want to take your questions I want to take your comments and uh, see where we go from there okay so to restate that for everybody through the microphone he was saying that he's been having a nightmare about Texas's Rick Perry the governor of Texas um potentially cracking down on this issue and what would be really bad is if he like ran for president or something like that and and carried that attitude um and then the other was what role does culture play you know films documentaries whatever so um with regard to rick perry um we'll see over the next two years how rick perry responds to that Rick Perry did actually come out and make a really supportive statement about medical marijuana at one point. He, he basically said he thought medical marijuana should be legal. Oh, okay, so the nightmare is actually that he steals the issue from the Democrats. Actually, it would be awesome if the conservatives stole the issue from, from Democrats. We, we need that to happen, really, before the next president after Obama. And we're seeing that anyway. We are seeing increased conservative support for this issue um, I mean, that's, that's pretty much how we got this passed in Illinois. We had to get a bunch of conservatives on board in Illinois, and we did. We sent medical marijuana patients to the Capitol. We paid to bus them there. And these are real people who have real ailments and are risking prosecution because they're using a substance that's currently or was until recently illegal. And that's really impactful when a legislature, a legislator meets with somebody who's like, man, I can't even get up. You know, I can't move or whatever. I can't function without this substance. So, okay, and then the role of culture. The role of culture is important. It is important. In fact, I brought with me uh, the June issue of the Rolling Stone. The key, the, the main story in it is How We Won the War on Pot by Bill Maher. That's a little bit cheeky because... Um, Bill Maher said on his talk show right before we passed our, our initiative in Colorado that if we brought a campaign to California, he would pony up some cash. And he so far hasn't done that. But he has time. Bill Maher, please, we need you. Culture is important. Um, you know, obviously, public opinion leaders in particular play a big role like, like Nancy Reagan did you know Nancy Reagan wasn't necessarily speaking for government I mean obviously a lot of what she did was government funded but she generated a whole culture around just say no you know there were t-shirts there was this whole ethos out there of just say no on the other hand culture can be damaging at times too we're, we're seeing a lot of reports about dabbing right now and how it's kind of the the crack of marijuana if you guys don't know what dabbing is, I just saw a puzzled look. Um, dabbing is, it's kind of like freebasing marijuana. It essentially is freebasing marijuana. You use what's called a rig, and there's a metal pin on it. And you, you use a marijuana extract, like a, it's called wax or earwax. And you heat it up to the point that it becomes a thin little wispy smoke. And you, um, you can smoke it through a thing that looks like a bong. And it's very strong. A lot of people are doing it with very, very high THC strains. And THC is the substance in marijuana that makes you really stoned. So um, we're seeing a lot of negative reports about dabbing right now. And that could have somewhat of a negative impact. We might see dabbing banned in places. Who knows? Um, I know I've been to a number of events where people have dabbed and then dropped. And um, it's just not nice to see someone smash their face into the ground and so that's kind of a that paints a little bit of a negative picture for marijuana so we have to be a little bit careful too we have to um make sure we develop some some good regulations really around um just like we do with alcohol you know we don't let people make you know bathtub gin anymore and those who do do it you know get in trouble. so yeah, culture culture can really go both ways. What, the involvement of LEAP? Okay, so LEAP, he's asking what has been the involvement of LEAP? LEAP is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Um, it's mostly retired law enforcement officials. I don't know, there might be one or two active ones. Um, obviously, it's pretty risky if you're active, if you're an active law enforcement member to come out against prohibition because... You know, it could be seen as a conflict of interest with your work. <laughs> it is a conflict of interest. Um, LEAP is a great organization. One of the really great things I've been seeing them do is sending speakers to, um, you know, press conferences. Um, I just saw something about Diane Goldstein, who's one of their female members. She used to be a Redondo Beach uh, police officer. She's giving a pretty big talk um, it's some event coming up. I'm not sure. But anyway, the point is, they're getting out there. And because they're former police officers... By the way, they look like former police officers. Um, you know, that, that's influential. That's, that's people coming out and saying, like, I was wrong. I busted all these people, and that was really lame. And, and they weren't really the troublemakers, in fact. Um, Jim Gray, Judge Jim Gray, he's one of the most articulate proponents for ending marijuana prohibition... And he was a former federal judge, and he locked up a whole bunch of people for our you know, various drug laws, and he's very, a very persuasive proponent of, of taking a new approach to this. Judge Jim Gray. Yeah, search him on YouTube. He, he can, he's so smart. Like Everything just comes out of his mouth like it's been burbling around up there for centuries. So... Um, So, yeah, LEAP Leap is playing a great role. I I volunteered on the Prop 19 campaign in California in 2010. And um, they were at all the press conferences. And they always had, you know, really good statements. And I'm sure that will continue to be the case, especially as we approach 2016 and are um, working with the media again in in probably eight different states on legalization. That's a fabulous question. Okay, so to boil it down... He's saying okay, MPP works at the state and federal level, right, to to change laws. And that's accurate. We we don't usually there there are things to be done at the state level at the local level, I'm sorry. Sometimes we do that, but most of the time we we work to change laws at the state and federal level. Um and then he's saying, you know, in some states you'll see these kind of small groups be like, "Oh, we really need to run a legalization initiative this year. Let's make it happen." And they'll try to fundraise and they'll um you know, frankly, they just won't succeed in gathering together all the necessary resources to run a successful initiative campaign. I mean, for example, in California, you really need at least $10 million to run a successful initiative. And that's, that's even for an issue that has a majority public support. You know, when, when you run an initiative, you've got to pay to collect all those signatures. And then you still need tons of money after that in order to let people know, hey, this is on the ballot. And um, even though our opposition is saying this, you still need to come and vote on it, and here's why. So that's advertising, that's you know public outreach. So yeah, so for example, right now in California, um, there's a very small group that is trying to put together a 2014 legalization initiative. Well, they're not gonna gather the funding that they need. Um, I'm a fundraiser for the Marijuana Policy Project, and so I know Not all, but a lot of the major funders for our work in California. And they're politically savvy people. Okay, a person with a lot of resources doesn't throw those resources around, for the most part. I'm sure there are some out there. But the people who are funding political work, they keep an eye on what's going on with their money. And they ask the experts for, you know, their opinion. The experts being... The pollsters, uh, my boss, the executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. You know the, the folks who have been working on this for a long time know what works, what doesn't work. So they're they're not going to get together sufficient funding to do what they need to do, um, and they just also don't have enough time. It takes a lot of time to prepare for a big campaign like that. You need to get a lot of resources into place. Um, you, you need to build a coalition. Um there are risks involved. We, we obviously we saw Prop 19 in California in 2010 and MPP strongly advised against the running of the initiative at that time. Obviously we want marijuana to be legal as soon as you all do, as soon as the people running Proposition 19 did. But we also don't want to waste our money and we don't want to blow a really precious opportunity like a presidential election in 2012. Um, so yeah we i think prop nineteen it it blew it for twenty twelve um unfortunately it it probably opened some doors in other areas but um and it and to be fair, it did raise a lot of awareness in California it definitely it got a pretty good turnout it got a pretty good uh turnout at the polls but it only raised about they only raised about four million dollars in the end and the campaign didn't even raise all of that that was all of the different yes on 19 campaign committees four million dollars is just not going to do it in california it's just not going to do it so yeah sometimes when i hear stories about you know so and so wants to do something in oregon in 2014 that could mess things up That, that could mess things up Yeah, okay, so she's asking about Amendment 64 in Colorado, which was passed in 64, and and kind of what was the language of that initiative, and is that something that could be done in in California? So yes, my organization drafted the bill for Colorado um, and spearheaded that whole campaign, and we will be using nearly identical language in the other states where we pass legalization initiatives. You know, the only things that might change are improvements that need to be made to it. The drafting for that probably won't even start till 2015, but um, it'll be very similar. Yeah. Um, 21 and older. You know, uh, Amendment 64 also legalized the manufacture, possession, and sale of marijuana paraphernalia, which is really huge. I I do a lot of fundraising from the smoke shop accessory industry. And those are hard working people that just want to make a living. They just want to sell a water pipe. They just want to sell. A bubble bag you know they just want to sell some stuff to clean your pipe with you know they're not they're not looking to harm anybody they're looking to make a living make a nice product have a nice time at work and they face some of them face prosecution for what have they what for what they're doing and many of them have been prosecuted you know whether it's for um, paraphernalia or another marijuana related crime and That's really ridiculous. This past year, um, a legislator in Florida, a former crack addict, to just deepen the irony, proposed a bill that would make all pipes in Florida illegal, um, even those that were, like, overtly for tobacco. And a group of Florida smoke shops actually band together. They formed the Florida Smoke Shop Association, and they lobbied against the bill. And they got, it, they got it changed to basically what the situation would have been if the bill hadn't passed. So that's a huge improvement. Um, you know, if a person has the right to use marijuana, they should have the right to possess the implement that they're using marijuana with. So, um, so that's just one of the aspects of that language that we'll continue to use. Oh, okay, so uh, one thing I don't want to for, forget to say. So um, we're talking, we were talking about earlier, like, what's the future going to look like with marijuana? Um, Well, this is a great question, right? What's MPP's goal? What are we working toward? We would like to see the federal government pass the buck to the states, just as it has with alcohol. We would like to see the federal government say, okay, states, this is your thing. Decide what you want to do or not. We're not going to pay attention to this issue anymore. So um, my boss predicts that Congress will pass a states' rights bill doing just that, around 2019. And um, increasing support for that is our main federal policy objective at this point. We, we have a, a federal lobbyist, a full-time federal lobbyist, and so this is his main objective right now, to build support for that. Um, in 2019, somewhere around 6 to 10 states will have legalized marijuana and... Um, that's going to really help to shift that public public opinion to get that states' rights bill passed. That'll be key. Yeah. So he's asking uh, what we're planning prior to the, that federal change to um, to change state law. So we we have talked about that a little bit. We we're going to run legalization initiatives and also stuff through the legislature um, between now and 2016. We're we're doing something in Alaska in 2014, a legalization initiative, um, and then in 2016. California, Nevada, Arizona, Maine, among others. Those will all be legalization initiatives. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be working really hard on this. Uh, he's asking if we work with the Tenth Amendment Center on any of these state-level issues. The answer to that is I don't know. Um, we work with a lot of allies. Um, so on a lot of this stuff, you know, I've told you, like we spearheaded the law in Colorado. That doesn't mean I don't want anybody to think we did that all by ourselves. By no means. Um, the Drug Policy Alliance kicked in some funding for Amendment 64. Um, I think that LEAP and SSDP did a lot of on-the-ground outreach in terms of building on-the-ground support. So um, this is absolutely a coalition effort. I, I don't know particularly about that organization, but I know that in California in 2016, we'll be working with the ACLU and the Drug Policy Alliance, for example. I'll try to speak to that. So he's asking, he's saying back like during the civil rights era states' rights was kind of like a mantra of the folks that didn't want to see um, equality for everybody because um, they wanted their state to be able to do whatever they wanted and whether there was a concern that we would see, see some sort of movement like that um, around the issue of loosening marijuana laws. I haven't heard of any concerns about that or any... I really haven't heard anybody talk about that particularly being an issue. Um... You know, I think, I think some of our biggest issues are just they're going to start arising from like safety concerns like DUIs and, and teen use. Although we have some really good responses to teen use, actually. Um, in Colorado, for example, Colorado um, passed its medical marijuana law. Colorado began regulating its medical marijuana industry in 2010. And according to the CDC, between 2009 and 2011, teen marijuana use actually went down. Um, while it went up everywhere else around the nation. So, um, and, and we actually have reports like that from a couple of other states too, like regulating medical marijuana helps control uh, young people's access to it. Okay, that's really good. What are the top three or five things I say to debunk various marijuana beliefs I encounter out there? Well, one thing that I hear a lot is that legalization is inevitable. Um, which just riles me because it's like really like who ran that initiative in Colorado then that didn't just happen Um, and I I might mention this remember I mentioned the Gallup poll earlier that back right um, in 1977 support was increasing dramatically Um, and then a reverse course Um, another throw throw a myth at me marijuana is a gateway drug okay this is what I say to those people marijuana is a gateway drug In the sense that if you're having to buy it from an unregulated black market salesperson, they might have other substances to offer you. And while that might be okay for you and me, what if somebody's 15-year-old kid is in that situation and they're suddenly, now they're being offered a substance? We really don't want a 15-year-old kid to ever encounter. It's a gateway drug in that sense. In you know the addiction sense, there's never been any evidence for um, marijuana increasing a person's you know propensity to use another drug or to become addicted to another drug. One more myth, and then we gotta end. What's that? It makes you dumb. Makes you dumb. That's great. Um, and I'll, I've also had people say it, it ruins your memory, which is something similar. Um, no, the evidence shows marijuana impacts your short-term memory, but not your long-term memory. And it definitely, it doesn't kill brain cells. Um, What I might say to somebody is that if you overindulge in marijuana, I mean, this is really true of any substance. If you spend too much time in a particular mental state, you're not sharpening this tool up here. So, yeah, in that sense, you know, marijuana might, it might affect you in a negative way. But it's not killing brain cells. It's not damaging your long-term memory. So, okay, you guys, um, I today I told you about the current state of marijuana and uh, a lot of trends around marijuana and why I think the crystal ball says the trends will continue. And remember, I, I, I put a big if in there, and the if was it will continue if we continue chipping away at the wall of prohibition. And... um. We only are able to do that because people like y'all think that prohibition is more harmful than marijuana itself. And so I encourage you to check us out and support us at whatever level you can. Um, you're what makes us happen. Um, and then I told, you, I told you about where we're headed. And uh, if you want to follow that in even more detail, you can go to our website, mpp.org, and sign up for our email alerts. You can sign up for like, state-specific alerts and follow what's happening in your state. And that's all. Thank you so much for attending. Have a freaking awesome burn. Woohoo! And thank you, Pez.
0: You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their
1: lives one thought at a time.
0: Yes, uh, thank you, Pez. And if you're new here in the salon, I should point out that Pez is Christopher Pezza, and uh, he has become the point man for the Planque Norte lectures at Burning Man now. In fact, uh, the other day, Bruce Damer called me to say that uh, he and Pez had been lining up a truly wonderful lineup of speakers for this year's lecture series, and uh, eventually you and I are going to get to hear them ourselves, uh, even if we can't make it to Burning Man this year. Of course, uh, I'm going to have to do a little better job of getting these talks out to you in a a much more timely manner. Now, a few minutes ago, you may remember Sarah mentioning the fact that the baby boomer generation is not too supportive of legalization. She then went on to optimistically say that she thought, though, that the situation was changing. And uh, from what I can tell, she's correct. First of all, uh, just to set the record straight, I am not a baby boomer. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually older than the boomers. Uh, Being born in 1942, I think I was what was called a war baby. But for those people who are actually older than me, uh, I've noticed that their views on cannabis are beginning to change rapidly. At the recent Cannabis Therapeutics Conference in Portland, there was a uh, very favorable report of cannabis use among elderly patients in assisted living facilities. And the reports are very encouraging. The patients were gradually able to wean themselves off of the prescription drugs that essentially had them semi-comatose all day. And instead they became cheerful, sociable, and uh, guess what? Their appetites improved considerably. Who would have thought, huh? (laughs) And uh, down here in Southern California, there is uh, significant work being done in finding the right mixture of THC and CBD for use with the elderly. My point is that over the next 10 years or so, I'm guessing that those over 60 are going to be joining those under 30 to... Change the law in regards to uh, so called recreational use of cannabis. And it's thanks to the work of people like Sarah uh, with the Marijuana Policy Project, Americans for Safe Access, Normal, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, the Drug Policy Alliance, and uh, well, the many other groups who are doing what they can to bring some sanity to the world's drug laws. And I'll put links to uh, MPP in the program notes for today's podcast, which uh, you know you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. Also, uh, in case you've never visited our program notes blog, in the right sidebar about halfway down the page, you'll find the news feed from the Drug Policy Alliance's uh, website. And uh, my guess is that you're going to find a lot of interesting links there. Well, uh, just a quick announcement this week, but the first of the thumb drives from our fundraiser have now been shipped. It's going to uh, probably take a couple more weeks for me to get them all out, but at least I'm getting closer to mailing yours. And uh, for the fellow Saloners who have asked about giving away copies uh, of these thumb drives, well, the answer is yes, of course. If you've been around me for a while, you'll discover that uh, my days with the Internet go back to the decade before the Web. And our mantra back then and now is information wants to be free.